0: And then from there, it's a fairly rapid downhill slope to just you can't see any bench space. You're lying in your bed, urinating into cups because you can't be bothered getting up, (laughs) marinating in your own filth, and your carpet hasn't been seen in days. Kia ora and welcome to this episode of The Alicia Mackay Show. We have such a good discussion this week, ranging from public art and penises through to the audacity of middle aged white dudes, my favourite topic in town. Enjoy everyone. Good morning everybody and welcome to the Alicia Mackay Show on today, Friday the 5th of August. It is a delight to be joining you from uh, one Wellington, one Poridua, and one Levin this morning. I don't want to jinx anyone, but I do just want to make the point that it has been a little bit warmer this week across the board and maybe just gently say days are getting a little bit longer. Could it be true that we're coming out of a cold,
1: dark terrible winter. So what's going on in the world of uh, of Potty Rua this morning, Alicia? What books are you reading? What's the vibe? Uh, I
0: read a really insane book this week. I I, I swallowed it, actually. Um, I, I went to the hairdresser. Thank you. I know it looks good, doesn't it? The red's finally gone. Uh, and I started reading the book there and then I finished it when I went to bed that night and it was the strangest book. It was called The First Bad Man um, and I should be able to tell you who wrote that because I've got Google at my fingertips by Miranda July. <laughs> and I was explaining- You're probably parts- getting an
1: author that aligns with your political beliefs. I'd say so.
0: I um, I tried to explain a part of the book to Charlie, my middle child, last night, and they got really sucked in at just my explanation, which is actually the sign of a great book. But um, essentially what I- found really interesting. The piece of the book that lots of the book was really interesting, but there was a piece of this insane person's insane life that started to make sense to me, which required a bit of a sense check. So essentially they were like, well, you know, you've got to be careful with housekeeping. You've got to, you've got to have a system. You've got to put things back where they belong because otherwise, you know, what when you hear about people falling into the pits of depression, what happens is it starts, starts slow. It's a few dishes in the sink It's a magazine on the coffee table. It's some laundry you haven't put on yet. And you don't feel very good, so you put it off. And before you know it, you know, there's a few more dishes in the sink. You actually haven't had a shower for a couple of days, but that's fine. You'll get there tomorrow. And then from there, it's a fairly rapid sort of um, downhill slope to just you can't see any bench space. You're lying in your bed, urinating into cups because you can't be bothered getting up, marinating in your own filth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and your carpet hasn't been seen in days. And I'm like, okay, I see where you're going with this. And, that, and so this woman, this narrator, the protagonist, she said, look, so I've developed a system and, and I'm so compliant with the system now that the system actually runs the house itself. And so she talks about how when she is depressed, she shrinks into invisibility because her house runs so seamlessly for her, it's as though she isn't there. And she says, you know, it's really small things. Like if you're going to read a book make sure it has a place in the bookcase. But better than that, why not stand at the bookcase with your finger in the gap where the the book was while you read the book so you can put (laughs) it straight back? In fact, why read books at all? She eats directly out of the pan she cooks in, which as long as everything that is cooked in it is savoury, she also doesn't wash. So that system just takes care of itself. She says if you have to carry something from one room to another, you want to stack your tasks. You don't want to be just walking around the house putting things back. If something has to go to the bathroom and you're near the laundry and there are towels in the dryer, don't put that thing back in the bathroom. Put it on top of the dryer so that when you fold the towels, you carry the towels and the thing back to the bathroom together. And the scariest part of this whole book, where this woman was clearly struggling with some fairly serious mental health issues, was the point where I started nodding along and thinking, yeah, (laughs) this makes sense. Why do we walk around moving stuff from room to room all day?
2: Hearing that for the first time, I, I really strongly identified with that. And it's that sort of especially if you're in a new space or a space that isn't yours and it is um, what (laughs) some friends who once came over for dinner called um, the house I was living in at the time intimidatingly clean.
1: When you say your friends who once came over for dinner, do you mean they only came over once? (laughs) No,
2: no, they did come back. They weren't weren't intimidated out of the whole friendship. Um, But it is that sense of like, this this space is so Spartan that there's that quality of being lived in or not. And some spaces do not achieve that.
0: I covet that.
1: Something that we find an issue uh, at the (laughs) Bodhi Ruhr house is when the cleaners come, Alicia is fanatical about people taking their shoes off at the door and making sure the kitchen stays clean because the day that the house gets clean, you want to enjoy that for as long as possible. And there's this tension between... Enjoying that for the house being clean and having paid for the cleaner to come along and also perhaps sacrificing the utility or fun of the house. Alicia.
0: I just want an hour. Just an hour. <laughs> I want one hour. If I could have it, I'd like an afternoon. I'm not fanatical. It's just that as Gina closes the door to leave, someone goes running with dirty shoes across the floor, throwing cornflakes in the air, going, <laughs>
1: And I just want uh, a sure afternoon. sign that someone's not fanatical is them saying, I'm not fanatical and exasperatedly shouting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fanatical. I just wish everyone was like me. I just want
0: one afternoon. I'm going to cry. I'm, li- I'm literally going to cry. Anyway, I did have a. Th- where all this conversation started, actually, um, and i would be interested. Callum and your take on this was me thinking about a tweet that I'd seen and it was talking about the the co-opting and the appropriation of language, cultural language in everyday society that we don't even think about and how we just can't do it and I was like oh yeah that is bad, I'm not into that and they're like you know and then there was a little list of words you couldn't say and I was like oh god, oh no. I'm not as woke as I thought I was. And I immediately feel terrible. And there was a couple in particular that are on that list that I have used a lot that I've immediately drawn a line through. And now all I can hear is other people saying them. And one of them is the word tribe. You can't go around saying you've got a tribe. You can't just be a white dude with three friends being like, I love this tribe. Because you don't get to have that word. That is a word that has Tonga and meaning and history. And you can't just be like, I'd like to kill some Indigenous people, but also can I have your words?
2: I'm absolutely fascinated by this topic, and it's a it's an evolving position. We're all learning, uh, and I think that the license to discuss the kind of philosophical rules that we want to put behind it is really important, and um, you know, meaningful discussion about why these things matter and and the impact of them. Uh, I mean, my example of this is um, as somebody who. Worked in social media as it was still an emerging discipline. The default word used to describe me without my consent was guru, no. uh, and which has a particular connotation. <laughs> and And I was named this in uh, newspapers, interestingly. So when I when I joined the internet party, um, I was called social media guru uh, in a national newspaper, and and that was. Sort of, it was a fascinating example of um, when words like this are just so accepted in the vernacular. We use it in a, you know, universal journalistic publication without without really thinking about it.
0: Well, actually, if you want to dig into that, just that particular example down one layer, Callum, I would argue that the use of that word was more intentional than you think, and it's because they were describing a space where there wasn't that felt foreign. It's because social media was new. People didn't understand to the fullest extent how it operated, what the rules were. And, and so the calling someone who did understand those things a guru is probably more intentional than even the journalists realised because they went, here's a foreign land that I don't understand. Here's <laughs> someone who knows about it.
2: Yeah, and there's an academic, I forget his his last name, but his first name is Stuart, but he wrote wrote about um, a concept known as the new exotica. Uh, And this is, it's pulling something from far away, but creating a a kind of localised meaning of it. And that's what we do with a lot of these concepts. And we we evoke the sense of foreignness without actually acknowledging the context from which it comes. Um, It was really fascinating to me, how much uh, a couple of colleagues from North America bumped on the concept of kind of a, a spirit animal or or that is my spirit animal and yeah, because you can't say that of course you can't because that is totally appropriating a, a concept that of you know indigenous peoples of, of North America and that is because it is so far from a New Zealand cultural context you have people who would probably not invoke Māori concepts in that way because of the awareness and the closeness and the discussion of of that sort of stuff that you have that just haven't thought about the concept in that way or that it is that it is owned by somebody else.
0: And that's kind of the point. We don't think about the deeper meaning of it because we've we're lacking I, I say we and I'm just gonna go like New Zealand, but also not just like white European Um, Homogenous culture Particularly in places that Don't have a long history Like New Zealand's quite new For you know Settling wise Do love a bit of colonisation Because we have We don't have that rich tradition And context We're like What's the problem We've just picked up a word or Or a concept And it is divorced From its meaning, it is divorced from what makes it important in the first place. We have sucked all of the stuff out of it, but we're like, "What's your problem, mate? It's just a word. We use words all the time, which is probably why we want it so badly in the first place."
2: And this is just how uh, a a colonial mindset works, right? You you systematically oppress someone for two hundred years, and then you have a new generation completely divorce yourself from the history of that oppression, and then tell people that, oh, well, everything's fair and, like, why are you causing such a big fuss and what, what's your problem?
0: Oh, I've, no, I've never been mean to somebody else. Sorry, Cam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know what you're apologising for there. An example that I heard recently described which made me rethink the use of a phrase was the rule of thumb. I learned that the origin of that is that it's from a law which described how thick a stick could be that you would beat your partner with. So when someone says, oh, as a rule of thumb, I do this – the origin of that's pretty disgusting, really. So that's one that I've definitely tried to phase out and obviously one that I had no idea about. Like, who knows the origin of these phrases? They just get passed down as expressions that we imitate. Yeah, rule of thumb, not such a pleasant history. That one is gone. I think what's important about this
0: conversation isn't that anybody is um, operating from a place of perfection, Uh, but that once we know better, we do better. And what I find really upsetting is watching people that have no skin in the game try to philosophise or dictate the rules and say, oh, but don't you think um, it's more important that you don't get to decide? Yeah, but don't you think that no you don't get to decide if somebody who is who has a connection and an, and is impacted by this decides that it's not okay it's not okay and it's not a subject that's up for debate and so the thing i find most frustrating is when the people that hold all the power and the privilege in the first place then try to also dictate the rules of the conversation and it's like you get to have an opinion in your own head and you just that that's just the end of it as soon as you know better you do better and this complete Inability of popular culture and trolls and Facebook comments and wherever else to just believe the lived experience of people who have been marginalised, whether that is women or Indigenous people or trans people or disabled people, and try and explain to them why their own experience of being marginalised and oppressed is incorrect and they just need the information and perspective of the person with the power to explain them out of their oppression will never fail to astonish me, but I cannot be fucked with it anymore.
1: Oh, look, I don't mind if you have the opinion, but can you stop shoving it down my throat? I just just (laughs) cannot. And so I'm just not going to be
0: nice about that anymore, I don't think, because... I just see it all over the place and I've had enough of it. And I was actually in a delightful place um, yesterday in a delightful conference that I very much enjoy where the word tribe, by the way, is employed far too much and it was all I could hear because I'm sensitive to it now. But of course I am because I've used that word until now and now I'm like, no, that one's gone. And there was like a whole conversation around so-called dark humour Or um, controversial humour And as you guys know I recently walked out Of a Jim Jefferies gig Because I found his comedy show To be so disgustingly offensive That I refused to sit In the same room And just hearing A very well-intentioned But middle-aged Middle-class white dude Explained to an audience That another comedian They're a fan of Who is also a middle-aged Middle-class white dude uh, Likes to make a distinction Between you know, the reality and a joke about it and that we need to have perspective. And sure, it's it's like rape and pedophilia aren't good, but you've got to be able to distinguish that from the joke about it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Is an old dude trying to tell me that I need to shut down my feelings about rape because they've had a better idea? I don't fucking think so. The fact that he feels as though he's got the audacity to dictate the terms of that conversation was enough to turn me off. Anyway, have I ranted too much this morning? Should we move forward?
2: Oh, those are great rants.
0: Thank you. Thank you. CV, I believe you have a thing.
2: Yeah. Would you like, um, I'm going to give you a picker path here. You've got two Ooh. options. Ooh. Would you like penis news or would you like Russia news?
1: Oh, penis news. <laughs> Definitely penis news. I, I, I want both at the same time. I want penis news about Russians. Well, look. Fair- or
0: Russian news about penises. LAUGHTER <laughs>
2: We can all agree, we can all agree that Vladimir Putin is a bit of a dick, so there is a link here. (laughs) Um, But in penis news this morning, uh, we have uh, a a famous sculptor called Anthony Gormley, um, who created a sculpture called Alert, which is um, scheduled to be put in at the Imperial College London. Alicia, you have your hand raised.
0: Is that one word or two? Is it alert, like danger or alert, like a little little lurch?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love the two hats that you wear at the same time. The outrage at the audacity of someone cracking a dad joke, and the willingness to go absolutely all in on them yourself. Oh, it's
0: love a it
1: <laughs> Be alert. Your country needs alerts.
2: So the sculpture is, uh, it's very abstract. It's sort of a, a series of blocks um, um, put onto each other designed to be in the shape of a, uh, according to the artist, a kneeling figure um, oh. with sort of a, a oh. knee protruding. But the way the knee, the, the knee in air quotes, um, is protruding is um, has been described by the students who have brought a motion to the university council to prevent the statue going in um, and, and possibly the first instance of um, students being arguably more mature uh, in their approach to drawing penises on things uh, than, <laughs> than the, the faculty <laughs> staff. Uh, they have tried to stop this uh, statue going in and and their motion it's really interesting. So it, it says that while there is inherently nothing wrong with the human form, uh, they have said that, that the obvious connotation uh, of a, an erect phallus in this statue that could be drawn by the general public will bring the university into general disrepute. And it's a really fascinating case to me.
1: Because, and so, can we just point out too that the size of the air quotes phallus is the same size as the torso of the figure? We're not talking about a small bulge here. That is a colossal appendage.
2: <laughs> it is, and the the image which we will we will link to in the show notes uh, because it really does have to be seen to be believed. Um, so, there is a an image that the the students put to. Uh, the University Council, uh, sort of comparing the artist's statement of of what this sculpture um, entails, which is a person sort of kneeling with their knee extended. They have created a mock-up image of, of what they believe this will be interpreted to be. Now, there's a lot of philosophy of art that you can get into here, but I think this is a fascinating case of high culture versus how that will be interpreted by a a more mainstream audience.
1: Well, my favourite part about the image is that the crouching man silhouette... Uh, which is trying to indicate the size of the knee and the protrusion is uh, included without any blurred edges. But even though it's only a silhouette of the representation, which shows the appendage as a penis, they've blurred the edges of the silhouette cartoon dick for sensitivity reasons.
2: Yeah, and and I would be fascinated. It's, so this image is from the the Guardian news article on the matter. I'd be fascinated as to whether that's the Guardian blurring that, or whether the student submission <laughs> uh, itself had. That, or whether you know, in order to protect sensitive Guardian readers, uh, they they have done that. Um, but yeah, the whole the whole thing is fascinating because um, Anthony Gormley is a um, he won the Turner Prize a few years ago. He's he's an absolutely renowned um, sculpture artist, um, but also has previous form in terms of uh, offending, shall we say, the sexual sensibilities of uh, mainstream audiences. So another one of his works. Um, could I get one of you to describe uh, for, the, for our listeners uh, what we're seeing on the, on the
1: screen here? Cam, please. We are seeing as, uh, as the foreground is a gravel surface. The background is a building scape face-on, uh, slightly colourful buildings, normal standard scene from that regard. In the foreground there appear to be what look to be large either phallic or faecal sculptures half submerged in the gravel One of them looks to have a bit of a twist in it. Could be a dairy-whip kind of poo that a dog sometimes drops. The one on the right, possibly slightly more phallic. Nothing too provocative. What's the artist's explanation,
2: CV? So this was at the Alderborough seaside, uh, and the piece is called Quartet, brackets, Sleeping. Um, But the residents raised... Rather large objections, um, saying that they they believed um, that this particular work of art on their on their seaside uh, location uh, looked like a collection of sex toys, uh, and again took this to uh, the oh! local authorities, and and were very upset by this.
1: <laughs> the, Alicia's uh, wow of revelation there was like, oh, they're not poos, they're dildos.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I was thinking poops, silly me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I I love provocative public art. It does provoke really interesting conversations about high versus low culture. And that's valuable. We need to talk about these things.
0: I have so many thoughts on this, CV. I'm like, first of all, I love how we just, the reason... (laughs) I'm sorry to just get back on the feminist bandwagon today, but I'm not sorry at all. I love that we just assumed in every case that that sculpture was a man. Even in the one where we weren't representing it as a penis, the squatting figure was automatically a man. There was no discussion about whether or not it could be uh, either a gender neutral or a feminine figure and no discussion of whether that might be a low hanging protruding pregnant belly as opposed to a completely disproportionate penis. Um, So, you know, nice one, Guardian and, and Pop. Popular culture on that one, and the artist, and the artist. But my next kind of question is kind of who gives a fuck, and when did we decide that like having a penis around would bring education into disrepute? For example, so let's let's extend this argument out a bit further and go. Okay, what if what the sculpture is is actually a very large, glorious, not even hiding what it is, penis and testicles, and that the artist has created something that is commanding, that uses materials in an interesting way, that attracts attention, that's weather-hardy. Let's say, for example, that that's what's happened.
1: I'm equally outraged that we've... We've decided that it's inappropriate to show nude human bodies when everyone has one, but it is okay to show violence or disrespect or various other things. This is where I'm going with this. I think I'm it should be totally this. fine to get about in uh, in your birthday suit, and I'm confused as to well, the puritanical views of the religious are probably what fed it to start with. I'm not really sure, but I love going to a festival where there might be skinny dipping in the in the river and the cultural norm allows people to do that without it being freaky or something to be ashamed of compared to the kind of aggressive, violent kind of behaviour that you get at the Drug Feud City Festival. I realise I'm going off on a tangent and a rant here, but why can't you get your kid off Everyone's naked, everyone has the appendages, and yet we're scared and we hide them away, And the, but we're quite happy to show violence on television or depict all sorts of other things that are ghastly that not everyone has or should.
0: For a similar reason that the US protects gun rights but won't allow women to basic reproductive, access to basic reproductive health, uh, which is that we're really afraid of anything that involves sex or sexuality because the, the obvious analogy to draw here, Callum, is that we think that a man with a flaccid penis and a marble statue is a work of art. But a statue that potentially depicts an erect penis is horrific, brings us into disrepute because sex is an activity of the low classes, not uh, not the art. I I, I'm, I I could talk about this all day.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's an incredible point, but not, not necessarily... Uh because of those issues but because purportedly so the artist said that this is a kneeling man Uh, that the point about gender stands because it's it's a block structure it could be any kind of person Uh, despite the artist's intention you know that speaks to the patriarchy as much as anything else but the There are instances where art is deliberately provocative and um, that that there are like giant phallic statues that are designed to be that. This is one where interpretation has kind of come into this. In 2011, around the Rugby World Cup, there was an installation in in, uh, the Octagon in Dunedin uh, that was called the Haka Peep Show. Uh, the the Haka Peep Show was deliberately a commentary on the commodification of Maori and Pacifica culture, uh, and it was a um, purportedly Rexona can. So it was a giant black uh, cylindrical shape that was um, erected, for want of a better word, in the Octagon in Dunedin as a as a public art project. Uh, you could there were certain peepholes uh, in this structure and you could you could um, peer in and and watch a series of sort of audiovisual presentations. So there was um, Tama Iti and other Maori activists sort of performing haka. And and this was a commentary around the commodification of sport. It was a commentary around the the sort of sexualization of a lot of this stuff. And it was a really fascinating work of art. But the difference here is it was deliberately provoking that conversation, whereas this is supposedly um, a, a, an entirely non-graphical work of art that is, is very abstract, and what society has chosen to do is interpret this as being a, a genitalia issue.
0: Yeah, and if it is genitalia, as opposed to a bunch of flowers or a pig or a fence then what does that have to do with anything? Like, oh, all right. Look, I think we could do this one all day. Celebrate
1: the penis, I say. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. And, and, and you can also say that. And yeah, bloody oath. And honestly, it does all right, doesn't it, culturally? Uh, but anyway, we, we have we have come to 8.35, and so I am going to have to wrap up, which is a damn shame because this feels like a, a half-day conversation, not a, not a half-an-hour one. Look, um, I would just like to throw to my in-house co-host here, and um and just invite Harriet to um I guess send everybody off on their day. Anything you'd like to say to the listening public, Schmaz? Bye bye. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a beautiful weekend.